Welcome to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Stay tuned for this week's message. Thank you very much. Good morning. Can you hear me? Good morning. How are you? You guys should have the biggest smiles in the country living in Noosa. Should you not? Hey, could you just stay on your feet for a moment? Just close your eyes where you stand. Let's pray just for a moment. Jesus, I'm asking that the power of your word will touch every single heart here this morning. Lord, give me the ability to bring your word in a manner which is sharp, timely, effective, so that people can carry it and run with it. Lord, I'm asking for incredible favor on this church, that they will continue to grow, they will continue to reach people with the gospel of Jesus, they will continue to be favored, they will fill this room, in every room that they find themselves in. Holy Spirit, fill our time now, I pray. Bring glory to Jesus. We ask these things in your name. If you believe it, say amen. 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 You can grab your seat, everyone. Thanks so much. Thanks, Musos. You can grab a seat. Thanks for your help. I'm going to come a little bit closer. Is that all right? Is it okay if I come closer? How's that? Is that a bit too close? I can spit on you from here, Melissa. I'll try not to. Are you good? Are you happy? Well, we've got a short amount of time to do a lot. Who reckons we can do it? That's about three of you. What are the rest of you think? I mean, help me out here. I'm not sure if I can do it yet. I need you to. I was hoping to work off your confidence. We've got to preach. We've got to prophesy over a few people. We've got to do a salvation altar call. I've got to lay hands on you and help you to have a transform, transformational experience in about three minutes flat. Send you home happy, doctrine straightened out, ready to take on your week, loving your pastors, loving your spouse, loving your children. That should be doable in about 29 and a half minutes. What do you reckon? Thank you to Christian Melissa for inviting me to come. And my nine-year-old daughter, Olivia, is out there having a fabulous time with Ella. And they've become near little besties. Uh, Besties by distance, which is awesome. And uh, it's great to be here with you guys. We had a great time with the leaders last night. And shared good, fun time together with Mr. Matt Adamson, who had the brothers crunching and finding their core and working on their core and all the rest of it and they're probably still feeling it this morning I reckon but uh, it's great to be here you guys uh, as a church are going places I sound more convinced about it than you do you guys are going places as a church uh, because what is happening here is ordained by God so it can't be stopped there's no devil in hell that can stop it God won't stop it he's already He's into it. You're the only ones with the power to stop this. There's no council that can stop it. There's no opposition. There's no picket line. There's no people that are hating God that can stop. It can't be stopped. The only thing that can slow the momentum of this place is you guys taking up an old school value of 80-20 rule. Let's let the front row do the work and the rest of us will enjoy ourselves. That's the only thing that will stop this church from bursting at the seams. It's unstoppable. It's been positioned by God, ordained by God to reach not just hundreds but thousands with the gospel. And that's an exciting thing to get in at the ground level on, you know. The view is awesome when you get a hundred floors up, but it's even more enjoyable when you know what it looked like from the ground floor and the first floor and the second floor and 
You know, you might have got in on the third or the fourth or the fifth floor, or you might have joined just about now at the seventh. But it's going to about 60, 70, 80, 90 floors, this thing. It's going to keep growing and getting stronger and more robust. And I want to urge you and encourage you from a distance to plug in and stay planted and don't unplug yourself. You know, of course he's going to say a few things from time to time that offend you. Well, what did you think? You know, of course that's going to happen. But don't worry about it. I've found that offenses, if you just grit your teeth and say, you know what, I'm not going to let that flip me out of the boat. All of a sudden, God helps you. And you get a new angle on the thing. You know what, maybe he didn't mean it that way. Maybe I could act a bit more like an adult, a bit more like an adult from the Bible and say, I'll go chat to him. Some of you are already like thinking, oh, I don't like this guy from Sydney already. Well, I know Queenslanders don't like people from Sydney, but there's a grace in the room. <laughs> and you've won all of the football competitions, so just enjoy it and get over it, and we'll just love each other and get to, get to know each other. So there actually is an ability for you to stay planted. There's a grace for it. And it comes to the same thing individually that I said about you as a congregation. No devil in hell can pull you out of this place. You've got the most power to pull yourself out of this place. I know there's devils out there, but don't chase them. Chase the Word of God and work on getting you and your family planted in the house to the point where you say, I don't care if I hear something every Sunday that rubs me the wrong way. You're going to have to tell me to leave to get me out of here. Why? Because half of your future is hooked up just in the discipline of turning up. It's not about special gifts and abilities and talents and when is it going to be my moment and my turn and my moment in the sunshine and my 15 minutes of fame. Forget it. God uses people who turn up. He can't use anybody who doesn't turn up. So the key in my journey has been just to turn up. Our church is just over 40 years old. I've been in it since I was four days old. Our church started the weekend after I was born. My parents founded the church. My wife and I took the church over. I've been on the staff for nearly 20 years. And I don't have any plan in the near future, in the next 40 years, of actually leaving or being punted out of the place, unless the brothers and the sisters turn around and say, we've had enough of you, could you move on, please? Or I'll come to Noosa. Or the Lord says, thanks, Andrew, it's been awesome, now sit down and be quiet, which will probably happen sooner or later. Until that point in time, I'm plugged in, I'm planted, I'm immovable, I'm, sh- I'm unshakable, I'm not leaving the house of God. Why? Because that's where I flourish, that's where fruit comes to pass, that's where I get the chance to do what is the greatest thing I can do with my life, have an impact on somebody else's life. My life will not be at its prime or its peak if I get all of my dreams fulfilled. If I get involved in getting other people's dreams fulfilled, suddenly I discover heaven's contentment, which way surpasses anything that this earth can promise you. And you guys have got the chance to be in a great church with great pastors. Deliberate pause. A great church with great pastors. I'm telling you the truth. I know these people. Some of you might think, or people who come here that are fairly new might think, oh, they're a bit over-friendly, aren't they? That's the truth about who they are. That's them. If you come to my church, I'm nowhere near as friendly as them. I want to come to this church. They're way more friendly than me. And they are people with great integrity, and you would be well served to get in behind this arrowhead and say, I'm going as far as this journey goes because these are good people. As a matter of fact, I would offer these people a job any day of the week. As a matter of fact, I tried to offer him a job, but he said no. How about that? I'm still getting over that, actually. So we're going to have a sit down after the meeting and resolve our differences over that one. They are fine people. What you see on a Sunday is what you see in their day-to-day life. Love God, serving God, and I believe God's called them to do a fantastic job leading this church. Amen. Well, what should we do first? 
It's going to be powerful. Oh, we should probably preach a little bit, everybody. Have you got a Bible with you? Okay, what do we do? We said, thank you for being invited. Uh, we talked about how awesome the McCuddens were. We prophesied a little. Is everyone okay? You all right? You've got the biggest fans in the history of church, you realize? If they fall, we're all in a lot of trouble. Okay, so if you've got your, who's got a Bible? Or should I say, who's a Christian? Same question, isn't it? We've got a Bible, you've got something to write some notes. I'm going to work pretty fast. Is that okay? Is it okay if I work pretty fast here? We're going to preach this message, then we're going to pray, we're going to give people the chance to receive Christ, and we're all going to go home just smiling our heads off. I hope. Okay, so let me start by saying this. Winning people to Jesus through the gospel of salvation and making disciples of Jesus through obedience to truth found in Scripture. That's why we're here. I'm going to say those two statements again because they're reasonably mouthy and wordy, but I want you to just meditate it and, and see if you can get this locked in. Winning people to Jesus through the gospel of salvation. We don't just win people with hugs and smiles and give them nice coffees. That's part of the journey, but it's about winning people to Jesus Christ through the gospel of salvation. And then, it doesn't stop there. That's the start point. Then, making disciples of Jesus through obedience to truth found in Scripture. Folks, there is no other pathway available on planet Earth to become a disciple of Jesus except to walk the life of obedience to truth found in Scripture. Coming to church is an awesome spiritual discipline, and Christians should practice it more regularly than they do. I am not a fan or a subscriber to the New Day era that if you go to church once every three or four or five weeks, that should just get it done for you. I you people must know some people that are more holy than I am because I actually need to be in the house of God every single week. I need to be with the other believers being encouraged to know, you know what, there's a few Christians still walking the walk. I need that in every seven-day block. Flip, I need a shower in every 24-hour block. Sometimes more often. I need the house of God at least every seven days. And so coming to church is great spiritual discipline, but that in itself is not the goal. That's part of the journey that gets us towards the goal. It's a contributor, it's a helper. The real goal is to become a disciple of Jesus. The word disciple simply means follower, to become like the one you're following. That's why we're here. And yes, we're here to love one another and we're here to enjoy the journey and you should have fun in church. If you can't smile in church, there's a problem. Either with the church or the people in it or both. You should be able to smile in church. Look at someone near you and smile right now. Give them a cheesy, corny, pretend, superficial smile right now and it might even extract, uh, extract a genuine one. We're here for a reason, amen? Forming the character of Christ in people by instructing them to live according to God's word, empowered to do so by God's spirit, that's the purpose for every member of this church. Because believing transforms behaving. How many of you know people that are coming into church are coming in as a mess on legs? Oh, did you get the wrong memo about who's coming to join your church? Oh, okay, I better give you the truth. All right, let me tell you who's joining C3 Noosa. The people that are gonna join this church are a mess in their finances, they're a mess in their relationships. They're a mess in their dealing with addictive behaviors. They're a mess in the way they're dealing with their sexuality. They're a mess in the way that they're dealing with their attitudes. They're a mess. Guess who they remind you of? Us. Hello. 
If we've gotten ourselves so cleaned up and washed up and prettied up that we've forgotten that we are them and they are us, then we will become guilty of the same contradiction and hypocritical behavior that the whole of the country has a problem with. When we see the messiest of messy people coming to the church, we should see ourselves. Because unless we see ourselves, we've forgotten where we came from. You say, oh, well, I wasn't that messed up, brother. Hey, if you've got that attitude about how messed up you are, you're actually more messed up than the rest of us. That's the truth. That's the truth. Because the scripture says, the scripture says, there's not one righteous among you. And then it repeats it. No, not one. In case you didn't catch it in the first sentence. Messy people are coming into the house of God. And so simply trying to just pretty them up a little bit on the outside is not going to get it done, people. The last thing we want to do is to train people in our own religious behaviors if we've got them. Oh, now that you're here, all you need to do is that when you're here on Sunday and you'll be good. That's not going to help them get their life transformed. They need love, they need friendship, they need inclusion, but I promise you, the only agent that's going to turn their life around for real is the transforming power of God's Word. It can't change them if they don't hear it. It can't change them if they only hear it and don't obey it. That's why teaching people to obey the Scripture, which there is a grace for. You know, in Australia, we don't like this word teaching. Why? Because all Australians already know everything. Just ask them. I heard somebody say once that leading Australians is like herding cats. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But we do have a culture where we all know everything already, and so I don't need someone to teach me. But actually, every one of us, and especially those who stand behind the pulpit, need to be in learning disciple mode constantly. And guess what? When the Word comes before people, and you lovingly instruct them to say, hey, this is what the Bible says about your situation, you might actually experience a miracle as a long-term Christian, when you realize that the Scripture carries a grace to do it. The Scripture carries its own empowerment. It's got a built-in power upon receiving it that helps the person do it. So when we hear instruction and we hear telling people to obey the Scripture, we get nervous because we think, oh, people won't like these words like obey and command. I know people don't like the words, but make space for God's Word to do something powerful like it did in you. So that when the Scripture comes to a new heart, says your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, within that Scripture is the empowerment to do the Scripture. So if we stand back and fear making disciples for real and we just train them in our Sunday religious behavior, folks, we're building a weak church. And what God wants out of this place is for people to be transformed by the power of God's Word. Can you say amen? Amen. Christianity is all about having a transformed inner life. The greatest allegation, and very often it's true, that the non-believing world has against the Christian world is that we look good on the outside and we're just as filthy on the inside as the rest of them. That's the greatest allegation and most often the greatest true allegation against much of the church world. And it's because throughout history what's taken place is people have abandoned discipleship abandoned following Christ, abandoned having their character transformed, they've swapped those life-giving things out for religious behaviors and made it all about the form. Well, this is how you worship. Well, this is how you worship. It's not about the form, folks. It's about the heart. It's about the inner life being transformed by the power of God's Word. 
That's why how pretty or not you look on the outside really doesn't matter. What matters is how's your heart? How's your character transformation going? Do you have a story that says, I used to hate people, but now I love a few? Hello? <laughs> is this a church we got here? Am I in church this morning? Have the, is there anyone in the church who's got stories that say, you know, I used to hate everybody in my street, but now I love them a little bit? That sounds like someone who might have become a Christian. Or people talking stories about, you know what, I used to cheat on my taxes every single year. And then I read a few verses that told me that was no good and I suddenly felt empowered, I better change my ways and so now I pay my taxes. That sounds like a Christian. I don't know whether I'm reaching anybody here, but I'm having a go. When people used to do me wrong, I used to lay in bed at night and dream about how to get them back. But now I lay on my bed at night and the Lord visits with me and helps me to release forgiveness to them and let them go. That sounds like the story of a Christian. And then, in time, you won't have to teach any of this or any of that or any of that. It will all happen because it comes from the extension of the heart. If we build up an outer wall of correct behavior and do nothing with our heart, we will add to the blockage at the gates to the kingdom and Australians will not rush in, Australians will rush away because what they want to see is not just love, not just relevant music, not just people who seem to be reasonably normal, they want to see that there's a transformed life. They come into church, they go, I know that guy at the back, he lives across the road from me, he used to be a mongrel. But you're telling me now he like, he comes and volunteers and he helps out run the kids programs? (laughs) Never would have expected that. That's the story that's got to get out about our churches, that we stop putting all this focus on the outside and put focus on the transformed character on the inside. I'm trying to preach a little. Are we all right? The goal of every Christian must be to live daily devoted to Jesus. You can only do this by being daily devoted to Scripture. I talked to the leaders last night that many people live their life like this. They go to work, they do their family stuff, they look after the house, and then on Sunday, pop into Jesus for a couple of hours. Hang out with Jesus, pop back out, go back into their routine. Go around, do a seven-day lap and pop back into Jesus for a couple of hours. Folks, the key is that when you get born again, you are born again into Christ and then it's meant to be a daily journey for the rest of your life of staying in Christ. You're not just in Christ on a Sunday, you're in Christ at work You're in Christ at home with your family. You're in Christ driving down the road, living daily in Christ. Amen? Amen. Can we go to a passage in Matthew chapter 5? I think they're going to have this on the screen behind us. I think it's Matthew chapter 5, and I'm reading from the NLT translation. Is it there? There it is. Okay, it says, One day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Verse 3, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Folks, in case I didn't mention it earlier, I'm preaching this morning about the beautiful attitudes. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Verse 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. 
God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Verse 12, this is really great. Be happy about it. Thank you, Jesus. Be very glad. Awesome, Jesus. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. We're going to work real fast here. I want to take you through what these beautiful attitudes are and what it means, because I want to make it simple. I know too many people who struggle with this passage. What does this all really mean? It's really simple. Here it is. If you're writing notes or if you guys are podcasting, you can write notes as you re-listen. Verse 3 is the beautiful attitude of dependence. I depend on God. One of the phrases that I hate is the phrase of a self-made man. There's no such thing. And even if there were, I don't want to be a self-made man. I want to be a God-made man. I'm happy in my dependence on him. I don't want to become independent of God. Verse 3 is the beautiful attitude of dependence. Verse 4 is the beautiful attitude of prime treasure. The beautiful attitude of prime treasure. What does that mean? It's talking about people who mourn. Only people who mourn are people who are mourning for valuable things they've lost, like the loss of loved ones. This attitude in this verse is prime treasure because it's talking about valuing what matters most. We're living in a generation where people are so upset, not really people 40 years of age and up, occasionally, but mostly people that are sort of down towards 20 and below, but those 20s and below in a blink are going to be 40s and above. And they are growing up in a world where their greatest heartbreak is when they get unfriended on Facebook. <laughs> That's not loss. Do you, know, do you know my greatest moment on Facebook is when I lost Facebook as a friend? <laughs> That's just personal. Matt, you're feeling me right now, aren't you? That's technology. That's just me. You do what you want. If you enjoy Facebook, you go for your life. I didn't just say, there's no scripture, don't be on Facebook. I'm just saying it bores me. That's just personal, right? But if we are regarding, I lost a friend on one of my social networks, what a great loss. That is not something worth mourning about. There's even a movie out called Unfriended. I think it's pretty horrid. I haven't seen it, but that's the name of the movie. It's about people losing friends on social networks. Give me a break. That's not what matters most in life. I promise you, nobody on their deathbed is saying, quick, sign me into Facebook one more time. <laughs> Status update. About 10 breaths left in my... Get it? About 10 breaths left in my... I didn't get to finish the sentence, so thanks for your help on that one. <laughs> no one's going to do that on their deathbed, right? This is the beautiful attitude of prime treasure. What matters most? And let me tell you what matters most in the world is people. Full stop. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, and it's Jesus talking, he says, if you're not faithful with the earthly mammon, money, possessions, stuff, if you can't learn to be faithful with the boring temporal stuff that's going to fade away, who is going to give you the true riches to be responsible for? That word true riches means people's lives. This is the beautiful attitude of prime treasure. Verse 5, the beautiful attitude of holy submission. Holy submission. I'm submitted to God. I don't just love God. I don't just worship God. Loving and worshiping is awesome and it's right. It's beyond that for me. For me, I can't talk about your story. I'll talk about mine. For me, a 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 and 20 is real to me. It says, do you not know you are not your own? 
you've been bought with a price. So when I think about Andrew Gray's life, yeah, I make plans about my future, but I've made many, many commitments to the Lord, and I keep making them to say to him, Lord, the pages of my future book are blank and you're holding the pen. If I make a plan and he doesn't like it, he's got the permission to tell me no. Why? He spilled his blood on a cross for me. He owns me. You go, ooh, that sounds a bit possessive. It's real possessive, and I'm into it. <laughs> he owns me. You go, oh, isn't that? That's a bit cultish and weird, isn't it? Maybe we need to reread our Bible and stop just paraphrasing a cozy, comfy, modern version and get back to the old school, passionate version, the real one that says, He paid the price for me. He owns me. That was the deal. That was the swap. My filth and my rubbish for His eternal goodness. That was the transaction. Imagine going, there's the four bucks for your skinny latte. And then you go, you go actually, could I have $2 back? And the guy goes, well, it costs $4. I know it costs $4, but I'd just rather have that $2 coin in my pocket. The guy's going to go, get out, don't come back. That's the price. One coffee for $4. You know, I, I, I laugh. I go to um, different parts of Asia all the time. I've been to Malaysia about 20 times, and I, I love Asia. I feel, I feel like I'm Asian. <laughs> I'm actually more Asian than Australian, actually, by a long, long way. And I, I, I do laugh when you get the funny, the funny white kids, you know, Aussies, who go into Asia for the first time, and they think, because they've heard from their friends, that you can just go up to any shop wherever you are and start bartering with the owner. You know, they're going to like an electronics store. They want to buy like a digital camera. It's 249 Will you take 180 It's not a game of negotiation. That's the price. One camera, 200 whatever it is. Imagine us doing that with Jesus. Well, well okay, can we just talk about this, Lord? I want, um, I'd like full strength salvation. Um, I'm happy with half strength promises. And I'll give you three quarters of me. No, 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 no. There's only one transaction. All of him for all of you. That was the swap. Verse 6, the beautiful attitude of hunger for righteousness. The beautiful attitude of hunger for righteousness. Verse 7, the beautiful attitude of compassionate mercy. Verse 8, the beautiful attitude of pure motivations. Verse 9, the beautiful attitude of seeking reconciliation between you and people and also between people and God. Verse 10, the one we love the least, the beautiful attitude of gracious suffering. I want to take a moment. Have I got much time left? I want to take a moment to expand on the beautiful... Are we okay? Is it all right if I keep going for a bit longer? Should I stop now? Should I sit down? Are you offended at the guy from Sydney? Do you wish I'd go back across the border? <laughs> Quick survey. How many people were born in this state? Thank you. That helped me. Amen. I feel blessed by that. <laughs> Let's expand for a moment. <laughs> Let's expand for a moment on the beautiful attitude of hunger for God. Everyone say, hunger for God. Verse 6 in the passage that we just read says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. 
Everyone say satisfy. satisfy. The New King James Version of that same verse is, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Having a genuine hunger for God and His righteousness is so important. In fact, true hunger for God is a master key for living a happy, fulfilled life. I'm just going to connect a couple of dots here that you might not have expected to be connected this Sunday morning. I'm going to bring the worlds of what the devil is trying to keep you away from together with the world that you dream about every waking moment and help you catch a revelation that the two worlds are meant to live fused together. That hunger for God and His righteousness, a heart that cries out for Him more than just on a Sunday morning for half an hour. One that longs for His presence, one that loves to eat the Word because it's truth and nourishment to your soul. That kind of hunger is the key to a full and satisfying life. There's another verse that talks about this in Matthew 6.33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added to you. It's a curious little verse, Matthew 6.33. What is it really saying? Let me make it simple for you again today so you can understand what it is saying. I want you to properly understand the meaning of the word things in this verse of Matthew 6.33. The word things in Scripture does not mean material objects like clothes or technology. As if it were to say, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then your dream wardrobe will be added unto thee. (laughs) And then your house will be filled of every manner of gadget that you could think of. No, no, it's not talking about those kinds of things. Watch me now, this is really, really important. The things that this scripture is talking about is talking about the desire for satisfaction in your soul. The desi- Put your hand up if you've got a desire for a satisfied soul. Now, this is an easy one for people to participate in. I can let you know every one of us in the room desire a satisfied soul. How do I know? Because God wired us that way. We have been designed by God to want satisfaction in our soul. And that's why we search so hard to find it. However, too many people, even Christians, are searching in the wrong place. Because temporal, earthly pleasures can only bring partial satisfaction for a very short amount of time. Put your hand up if you love a good holiday. You guys just came back from a long holiday, right? Did you love it? Was it awesome? Put your hand up if you love a good holiday. I love a good holiday. Is it satisfying? Does it bring pleasure? Does it last forever? No. Have you noticed our holidays leak? It's really annoying. You go away, you get filled up with holiday. Beach or snow or whatever does it for you, whatever floats your boat, maybe a boat floats your boat. You go and you fill up with holiday and you come home to your house and you go, things are going to be different now because I've had a holiday. And how many of you know about three days back into work, all of holiday has leaked? How did it, where did it go? It's gone. Why? It was not designed to last forever. It was only meant to satisfy you a little bit for a little while. 
Imagine hoping that that new house is going to be the thing that does it. Life is really hard right now, and we're under a lot of pressure, but when we get that house, whoop! And you get the house, and awesome, go for it, enjoy it. But you get the house, and you even get out there with your scissors, and you cut little bits of grass, and stand back, and look at how straight your edges are. Check if any of the neighbors can see how good your edges are. And all the blokes in the room know this feeling. You mow the grass, you do the edges, and you just, after it's done, you don't go back inside, do you, fellas? You walk around and look at it for a while. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? Why do you do that? Because you need to just have a look at your work for a minute. You walk around like this and you go, I did that. And you do, and you go to all the straight edges, you go, not bad, not bad, not bad. <laughs> Get the dream house. And after a while, dust, weeds, scratches on the wall. The first scratch on the wall. What are you doing? What matter of child are you? Woman, your daughter. But after you got 15 or 16 scratches on the wall, when I get my dream car, ooh, baby, am I going to be picking up? <laughs> you get your dream car, but you know, after one or two scratches, <laughs> suddenly, new car, new house, big thing that you were hoping for is leaking a little bit. Soul is feeling a little bit craving again. The things of this life were never, ever intended to fill your soul fully. If you put your hope and your expectation on them, you're going to be disappointed perpetually. I'm going to try and wrap this up and close it as quick as I can. Earthly pleasures can only bring partial satisfaction for a short amount of time. Here's the deal. God promises full satisfaction forever. Did you see the contrast? Partial satisfaction for a short period of time. Full satisfaction for the rest of your life. God promises that when we put Him and His kingdom purpose first in our hearts. It's not as if God just goes, yeah, I'll make it all happen for you, sure. And you're like, this is awesome. God did everything for me and I haven't even been to church for three years. He just... Hey, I just, what doesn't seem to be any difference? Serve God or not serve God, he just does it all for you. Well, that would be a delusion. Because the scripture actually says, seek him and his righteousness first in the heart. Does that mean quit your job and go work at the church? No, 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 no. Stay at your job. Earn the best income you can for you and your family. Put the Lord first in tithes and offerings. And do what he calls you to do with whatever gift he puts in your heart. It's not about leave and volunteer a thousand hours at the church a week. That's not kingdom first. Kingdom first is in the heart. Lord, you are first in my life for real. Or as the young ones say, for realsies. 
because they're clearly not satisfied with our vocabulary. They've got to invent their own. Words like forevs and besties. And everything they do, have you noticed, is the best ever. This is the best coffee ever. This is the best sunny day ever. I was pretty happy with the way the vocab used to work. But anyway, the deal is God's kingdom first in our hearts and his righteousness. And then what I prophesied over these guys has got to come out. Lord, help me to arrange my life around the call of God in my heart. When you live like that, that's when the then kicks in. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, tick, then all these things will be added to you. I've got to finish off that things bit just so that you can bring the whole message together. The things that this word is talking about is a satisfied soul. People, don't seek first to be filled. Don't seek first to be filled. Seek Jesus and what he wants first, and then he will fill you. If you seek filling first, you will spend all your energy and focus on stuff that cannot satisfy. You'll be frustrated, restless, and discontented. You'll be fooled into comparing your life to others who seem to have more than you. This leads to the delusion that having more equals having a satisfied soul. The truth is, it's simply doesn't. Only a real relationship with the God of the Bible can truly satisfy your soul. I'm going to finish with this here. John 4:34. Jesus says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. My nourishment, everyone say nourishment. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God. That's a weird statement. Ever read the Bible and go, that's weird. Oh, maybe I should ask the opposite. Ever not read the Bible and go, that's weird? There's plenty of weird stuff in there. But you're not reading enough. If you haven't, you haven't found anything weird in the Bible yet, you're staying too narrow in one book. Get off the contents page and read some of the content. <laughs> that's a weird sentence. My nourishment. These guys are going to take me for lunch graciously after. And imagine if I sit there and I peruse the menu. I go, I've decided I'll have some nourishment of God's work please, a large one, a large serving of the Lord's work and a sparkling water. It's weird. Clearly, Jesus wasn't talking about physical nourishment because there's no logical connect. He was, he was talking about the need for nourishment in the soul because if you understand the story, Jesus is sitting at the well of Jacob talking to a Samaritan woman, which was a big no-no to start with, the brothers have gone down to the local IGA because they've been thinking about their stomach. This is literally what's going on in John 4. They're doing their preaching itinerary and the brothers have been pulling on Jesus' sleeve. Are you hungry, Lord? Because if you're hungry, we'll go get food for you. You name it, Lord, anything you want. We'll get. They're not worrying about his stomach, they're worrying about theirs. And so Jesus goes, go get some food, do what you want. While they go off to the little IGA, he talks to a Samaritan woman. They come back from the shops and they see him sitting there with a woman which is not right in his custom. And so all of them do like this. Just, just put the groceries and walk away. Because they don't know what to say to him. They're, he's, they're already freaked out by him. So who's going to volunteer to say, Jesus, you know you're not meant to be talking to a woman. None of them. And so 
He goes, he says this weird thing to him. He says, he says uh, they come up and say, Lord, are you hungry yet? Like, because they're thinking, Lord, could we have our lunch break already? And he says, I have food that you know nothing about. And the, I love the disciples because they're so dumb. <laughs> they're so dumb, it's cute. Because Jesus says that and the disciples go, how did he get to the IGA before us? <laughs> he goes, I've got food you know nothing about. And they're all thinking baguettes and salami. and He's not talking about it. And then he goes on to say, the food I'm talking about brings nourishment to my soul. Jesus is making it plain for all of us to see the thing that gives you a, a truly satisfied soul is to put the kingdom and the righteousness of God first in your heart. There are two lies that the devil's trying to destroy you with. Number one, the lie that you can have God's kingdom as a separate compartment of your life. Lie number one, it's a biggie. Listen to it clearly. The devil is working hard on you. Own what I'm saying to you right now. He's working hard on you with a big lie. And the lie is that you can have, it's possible to have the kingdom of God in a nice little compartment in your life. We pull Jesus out on Sunday morning, take our little pocket Jesus to church. We come home, we put Jesus back in his little drawer until next Sunday. It's a lie. It's a total fallacy from the pit. It's not possible to have the kingdom in one little compartment of your life. What happened was you got saved, got born again into the kingdom, got immersed in the kingdom, and the kingdom becomes the greatest benefactor to every other area of your life that you could possibly imagine. Lie number two, the lie that if you do seek God's kingdom first, you will miss out on the chance to live an enjoyable, satisfying life. Massive lies. Everybody stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you, pray for this church. We're out of time this morning. I don't know whether you're not going to do a salvation call. I'm kind of feeling like it's there. If you want it, it's there. If you don't want it, it's, it's up to you. Let's stand, everyone, on our feet. If, could we lift our hands to the Lord? My prayer for you today is very, very deliberate. It's very explicit, and that is that C3 Church Noosa would go into a new day. As a matter, matter of fact, I'm going to prophesy in a moment. A new day where hunger for the things of God will become the number one attribute of this church. I'm not talking about intensity. I'm not talking about striving. I'm not talking about stress. I'm just talking about genuine hunger for God in the heart. I want Him close to me. So if you would, could you raise your hands to the Lord, close your eyes. We don't even have to make it a big old loud prayer. It's not in the loudness. It's in the authenticity. So here it is. If you would authentically agree with my prayer, we will have power in our agreement. Here it is. Heavenly Father, I am asking in the name of Jesus that this church, C3 Church Noosa, will enter into a new chapter Lord, the first chapter has been great. It's time for chapter two. It's a chapter marked by prayer and fasting and seeking God with all our hearts. Lord, I declare over this house that the day of needing to crank up prayer will come to an end. The day of needing to crank up worship will come to an end. The day of needing to crank up seeking will come to an end. 
guys just give me keys, it's fine. But it will be a move of your spirit. That we will seek you with all our heart. Because you have been so kind to us. Lord, you've saved us from our mess. Everybody in the room that it applies to right now, think about your mess that he saved you from. Let waves of the joy of your salvation come back to you. What a mess you were in before Jesus found you. He was gracious, he was kind, and he still is. Let that return to our hearts, Lord. That hunger for God, that seeking first the kingdom and the righteousness of God will become first in our hearts that the lies of the devil will be broken in Jesus' name, that truth will surge in like the wall of a dam lowered down. People washed in the water of the word that brings life, the truth that to seek God's kingdom first is not just a possibility for a satisfied life, it's the key to a satisfied life. And I do prophesy over this church that the key to your future, I heard the Holy Spirit say it to me in worship today, the key to growth, the key to this future, the key to everything God wants to do here is a brand new move of God in prayer. There's a new day of prayer coming. Your pastors are going to get words from God about prayer, how to activate it, how to stir it up. The Lord's going to speak to them. Even before this year is out, I believe they're going to have in their hearts a 2016 full year calendar plan for how this church is going to move in prayer together. There's going to be prayer meetings. There's going to be prayer in house parties. There's going to be prayer in families, husbands and fathers leading prayer. A new move of prayer and seeking God is going to be the segue from chapter one to the next four or five chapters of this church. And the Lord's saying to you two, pick the right people. Seek wisdom. Don't put anybody, just anyone, in that position. Seek the right people. There's people in this church that God's given you who carry the heart of prayer. And if you put them in the right place, God's going to move in power. In Jesus' name, Lord, I'm praying right now. This is the close. Any people in this room, Lord, who don't yet know you, I'm believing, not just about the sake of time, I'm believing that they've heard something today, they've experienced something today of the love of God, And in a non-traditional way, they will find salvation through conversation with a believer in this house. They will begin to ask questions, say, tell me what this whole thing is all about. And through conversation, the scriptures will be shared about, Lord, every person that comes in here is a new friend. I pray that salvation will come to their home in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the C3 Church Noosa podcast. Visit us online at c3noosa.org.